Dear Richard, Richard, when you read this, I'll be gone. Please don't try to find me. I don't recognize you anymore. Whatever we had together is over. Linda. Richard? Linda? Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, September 4th, Labor Day, and on this first day of... 42 Minutes Season 7, why don't we return to Twin Peaks for one final time, and we'll do so with someone who lives just down the road from Twin Peaks, DJ Morgan, part of the morning show on Seattle radio station KEXP 90.3, Where the Music Matters. Most recently, in an ongoing weekly series of exclusive interviews, DJ Morgan, as KEXP's resident Twin Peaks expert, chatted with the Twin Peaks music director, Dean Hurley, discussing that week's musical guests in the Roadhouse. These interviews have been featured on the morning show and on the KEXP blog to which we'll link. And if I'm not mistaken, Morgan had participated this past year in the Twin Peaks Fan Festival in July. How are you doing this morning, Morgan, and what can you tell us about the finale? Hey, Doug. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, the finale was awesome. I loved it. Um, you know, you get, to the, you get to the very, very end of something that means so much to you, and you're like, yay, that happened. And then and then you start thinking about all of the things that didn't happen and picking it apart. But overall, I was very happy with the ending. And uh, I felt like it actually was left open for the possibility of more, which is really what I was looking for. I feel like if it was wrapped up in a neat little package at the very end, then I knew that it was over. So there's a possibility maybe it's not over. <laughs> Do you think the, the Richard and Linda mystery is something we can solve with the uh, the body of work that we have before us, or do you think that might be a mystery that could be explored in the future? I think that can definitely be delved into in the future. I have a couple of ideas about the Richard and Linda thing, and I feel like it ties in a lot with uh, David Lynch's other work outside of Twin Peaks, like Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive, where people who look the same start as one character and end up as a different character. So I think it really uh, follows David Lynch's path of, of that like duality between people and situations and time not being a, a linear thing and there being the, um, the possibility of alternate timelines for people. Yeah. I mean, cause it seemed like, it seemed like maybe there was a bit of a time travel in this where Cooper went back to the moment uh, at the corner of Sparkwood and 21 when Laura jumps off the bike and kind of pulls her out of that moment and takes her out of the, you know, when she and Leo and Jacques and Ronette all go up to the cabin. It seems like he prevents that moment from happening. Is that how you read that too? Or what do you think happened then? Yeah, I think... Again, with the duality, I feel like there's two possible explanations for what happened there. I'm wondering if because Bob was defeated by Freddy's green glove, <laughs> that, that maybe since evil has disappeared now, since he's defeated, that, um, you know, we see that scene in what I call, I mean, it's not confirmed that's the White Lodge, but I like to call it the White Lodge, where the firemen and Lady uh, Ditto are. Yeah. And she creates Laura and sends her to Earth, possibly as the good that must defeat evil. And so when evil is finally defeated, maybe it made it so that Laura never needed to exist in the first place. So maybe when Cooper goes back to February 23rd, 1989, and is taking Laura away, maybe she was going to disappear anyway, because maybe she never needed to be born at that point. Or, like you were saying, maybe he prevented that from happening. And then because of the weirdness of uh, the vortexes in that part of the world or whatever, she got zoomed away to somewhere else. I've, I, I tend to lean more toward the maybe since Bob was defeated, Laura then never needed to be born. And, and so now that it's all over, are there some 
questions that you have that you still have that you're curious about? Like in plot lines from yeah, the show? Yeah, yeah, just like character oh, yeah. arcs, yeah. I mean, Audrey, for crying out loud, <laughs> what happened to Audrey? <laughs> you know, that's a huge one. Um, did Steven kill himself? Is Becky okay? What's going on there? Uh, there yeah, there's there's so much open stuff. I think the only thing that really got tied up for me and that I'm super happy with and don't really need to see more of is Ed and Norma. Like they're together now. That's great. That's done. (laughs) And even Nadine seems happy. She has sort of found her own meaning of life uh, with Dr. Jacoby and his show. (laughs) So, but yeah, there's, there's so many more plot lines that I feel like are still open. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So who is Renee and why, why is James in love with her? (laughs) There's, there's a whole, and then, uh, all the names that came out of the Audrey and Charlie conversation, you know, the, the Billy, what is, what's Billy's story? Right. I actually have a theory about that. So, um, we see in part 16 that Audrey is dancing in the roadhouse and, seems to snap out of it and wakes up in a white room looking at herself in a mirror, which could be a mental institution, maybe. And we do hear that, um, who was it? Uh, Tina's daughter. What was that character's name? I can't remember. Um, But Tina's daughter is talking to her friend in the roadhouse and mentions going to an institution or a hospital or something and visiting someone. Hmm. And maybe... So I have a theory that maybe Tina is in the same place that Audrey is in, and maybe Tina's daughter is going and visiting her and talking to her about Billy and about all of these people, and Audrey's hearing it and maybe is transposing that as her own life. Hmm. And so when we're seeing the roadhouse, maybe that's maybe the roadhouse is just like Audrey's imagination or dream or something like that. Um, so she's seeing, we're seeing all of these side characters and all of these like small side plots. And if you look back to it, you can see that they all kind of tie back to Audrey and what Audrey talks about. Because when she's talking to Charlie, her quote husband, he, you know, she's like, get Tina on the phone, call Tina. And Tina and Billy had an affair according to Tina's daughter. So, and they, they were the last ones to see him. So I'm wondering if Audrey is overhearing these things and, and like making it her own life. Well, I mean, so like, I know the wizard of Oz is like a great American animating story for so many people. And, but part of its mystery is whether or not any of it really took place at all, or if it was all in Dorothy's mind. And a lot of times people are really annoyed by that plot device where at the end of the story you realize oh none of it was real it was all it was all just made up in their mind or it was all a dream or something that possibility is still kind of there with this especially with um you see online allusions to like when when Dougie is in his bed before he finally wakes up as Cooper you know they I've seen comparisons of that scene to the the Wizard of Oz scene where Dorothy wakes up what do you make of that right because even the the people standing over him, like it's framed like that same scene of people standing above Dorothy's bed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, we we are sort of given a clue that somebody is dreaming. Is it all a dream? I don't know. But you know, so like Gordon Cole talks about his Monica Bellucci dream, and she <laughs> right. says she says the old adage, like he says, you know. Uh, I, what is it? I can't remember the exact wording, but, um, are we, are we the dreamers? But the question is who is the dreamer? Yeah. So, uh, it could be that different parts of the storyline are different people's dreams. So, you know, like the whole Laura Palmer storyline could be, uh, Cooper's dream and the whole roadhouse could be Audrey's dream. Like, these these different plot lines could be different people's dreams. So it is possible. And he does sort of, uh, David Lynch sort of does give us those clues that at least something might be a dream. <laughs> it's hard to say what is reality and what isn't. When I was younger, I read a fair amount of Joseph Campbell, and there is this mythological idea of, I think it's 
maybe it's Vishnu, some something to that effect. But that the, the whole idea is the there's this one guy and the whole world is just his dream. And so it, it kind of seems like that might speak to that mythological idea a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think David Lynch is really interested in in that kind of um, metaphysical trope of that of that dreamer of like, you know, if there is a god, are we are from that god, and that's an imagination. You know, that kind of that whole thing is like, okay, or if humanity was dreamed up by one entity or being, perhaps we're all the dream of. Uh, the Black Lodge, you know, above the convenience store. That seems to be like the behind the veil, behind the curtain. It's the place where you can go to different timelines and different um, life points for different people. Like, you know, he has to, uh, Cooper has to travel through the Black Lodge and go up through the staircase to get to Texas, where we see Laura Palmer again as uh what was her character's name carrie page carrie page yeah so and she doesn't have any recollection of of being laura palmer so so yeah it it feels like that's something that david lynch loves exploring especially with his um you know great love of transcendental meditation and all of that it it makes sense that that would be something that he'd be interested in exploring when when Cooper was at that the Judy Diner, did you? I mean, so that was the interesting thing to me in that there was there were hints uh, when so when when Cooper was in Las Vegas and he's awoken, it felt like nineteen uh, nineties Cooper to me. But when he's in Texas, I uh, there was a, a flavor of Mister C in there that I just couldn't help but read. Did you also recognize that or? Oh yeah. I mean, as soon as, so when he and the real quote, real Diane are driving and he leaves Twin Peaks and he, you know, he has to drive 430 miles right. to this point. And, and that says, point okay, was, to... I think that point is the exact point where Mr. C crashed at the beginning of the show, somewhere near South Dakota. So yeah. Yeah. And that's why the time got stuck on 2.53 in the sheriff's station. You, they really pointedly look at the clock and show that it's stuck on 2.53, which is the time that Mr. C crashed in the beginning of the series at that point. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's, um, I think that was the point where he was supposed to get taken back into the lodge but dodged it. Yeah. And so I think that is definitely, like, one of the great, great American portals or whatever ley lines <laughs> yeah. that you can travel to different uh, timelines. So he says to Diane, we may, you know, we may not be the same when we cross through here. And I think that is definitely what happened. And when they checked into that motel the night before and uh, you know, they have sex and you look at his face and you're like, that looks like Mr. C's face. Cause he's not showing any emotion. Yeah. Which and then, yeah, it felt like a transformation. And then when he wakes up in the morning, he's in a different state. He's in a different motel. He's in a uh, different car. Now, now, yeah, different car. Now named Richard, probably, maybe. <laughs> so uh, it's, it seemed like when he woke up in the morning, everything was different. So, yeah, I, I totally agree that he is probably a different person now. Although he still considered himself an agent of the FBI and that he was Dale Cooper because that's how he introduced himself to uh, Carrie Page when <laughs> she opened the door in Texas. So, well, what, yeah. if, what about Mrs. Tremond when she opens the door in Everett, Washington? Did, <laughs> and I think this yeah. is, <laughs> did you really go to the Twin Peaks Fan Festival this past July? Yeah, yeah, totally. I've been going for five years. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and so... Does is the woman who showed up in the finale there? Uh, we have Laura Palmer and Cooper, and they're at well, I think it's seven oh eight. Seven oh eight, yeah, thirty third Street. It's supposed to be in Twin Peaks, but it's actually in Everett, Washington. Is that the owner yep. of the house that's featured in the yeah, finale? That's, yeah, that's Mary Reber. Uh, she and her husband uh, Tim bought that house back in two thousand fourteen. And they're super nice, and they let people go into it. I actually haven't been up there. I need to go check that out. But she's super nice with all of the 
festival people and they let them go up and look in the house. And I saw, I actually saw on Facebook this morning because they can reveal now since the scene has been shown, uh, she got vanity license plates that say, say Tremont <laughs> for her car. So yeah, she's, she's super excited and embracing that she was in the last episode. That was super cool. So like breaking the fourth wall, right? Like fans who bought the house right. <laughs> are in, in the, the finale of season three. Yeah. It's funny. Okay. Well then let's, let's talk about you a lot of it. How do you become the resident expert? When do you start liking Twin Peaks and, and what does your, your story arc look like? Yeah. So, um, let's see the original Twin Peaks started airing when I was like three years old. I'm 30 now. I remember it being on TV. Um, and I remember like the opening credits and thinking how soothing that song was. And then I remember my mom being like, this show's weird and scary. Don't watch it. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to watch that later. So I watched it in high school for the first time. I bought the gold. I loved it immediately. Bought, bought the gold box set DVD set when I was 18. And, um, uh, my sister who's 10 years older than me, she started watching it too on her own. And we didn't realize that we both liked it. And she was like, Oh, Hey, you like twin peaks, right? Did you know that there's a festival, a fan festival that happens every year out in North Bend still call me. And I was like, Oh no, I didn't. She's like, do you want to go? I was like, sure. So we started going in 2013 and we go every year together. It's our family <laughs> family trip. So, uh, yeah, just like delving into the festival and finding out how fun it was to be around people who liked this too. And it, it kind of, you know, got me down the rabbit hole of, of liking it even more because of being around these people and being able to see the filming sites and the excitement of it all. And there's like a trivia contest and I, I really love trivia. So I'm like, I want to, I want to win the trivia. So I started, I actually started watching the show even more so that I could potentially win the trivia contest, which I'm still working on. Um, so yeah, I've been going to that for four, uh, five years. And then, so I work at KXP. Uh, I, my show is actually Saturdays noon to three. I have my own show and oh. then, yeah, that's okay. And then the, I'm the DJ manager full time, but, uh, the morning show host, John is my boss. And so I'm very, I like, I get to work early and I work with him. I'm his assistant as well. Yes. So I do work on the morning show with him as well. Um, and so what happened was when this season premiered, we were about halfway through, it was like, it was just after episode eight and uh, my boss, John, the morning show host played the trouble song from episode, what, five or six. Uh, and the lady from Rhino, Stacy Condi, who's working on releasing the soundtracks was listening. Cause she's a fan of KXP and emailed us and was like, Oh, that's so awesome. You're playing a song from the soundtrack do you want to do some sort of collaborative thing to talk about the music of the new season? And so my boss passed it to me because I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. And so I got in contact with Stacy and she connected me with Dean Hurley, who's the music supervisor. And so he and I ended up doing weekly conversations after the halfway point. So the first one we did was an hour long one that covered episodes one through eight. And then after that, we checked in weekly about the the music that was featured on that week's episode. So that's that's how that happened. <laughs> and is he in L.A. and you conducted these interviews via phone? Yep. Yeah. So he works at David Lynch's recording studio up in, um, I think, the Hollywood Hills. And yeah, we would we would call each other every week and record the interviews. And I uh, he's actually here this weekend i haven't seen him but he went up to tweeds and apparently he was hanging out with the chromatics yesterday <laughs> and tweeds is the double r diner yes show. yeah 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 so, but the interesting thing to me is that uh eventually it seems like to do these correctly you're recording them prior to the episode dropping so that means that you were privy to some spoilers yeah i signed a, a non-disclosure agreement when we started doing these. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, if I leaked any information, I would owe Rancho Rosa a lot of money. <laughs> um, so yeah, we would just do them week by week. So we would do each week 
a couple of days ahead of time. So I would only really be privy to the The, band or the music that was featured. He wouldn't tell me any plot lines, just the music, um, just like a couple of days before the episode would air. And then we release it on our blog after the episode airs. And then we would feature it uh, the following day on that Monday on the morning show. And have you ever seen a concert in the Roadhouse? The road, well, <laughs> the roadhouse doesn't really. I mean, there is a roadhouse. It's in Fall City. It's a restaurant. Um, I've never seen a band play there, and it does not look like the roadhouse in the show. Um, but we do karaoke there <laughs> during the festivals, so we do get to perform. And this past year, uh, the executive producer Sabrina Sutherland was a guest, and she played episode twelve for us during the festival because it was happening on a Sunday and she brought a copy of it and David Lynch was texting with her. And so he was like, I'm watching the episode with you guys. And she was reading us the text that he was sending. So um, I haven't seen a band play live in that restaurant, but uh, we have hung out there a lot. Well, so I, I moved to Seattle for a time in the early 2000s and that was part of the fun was to tour these different sites and this was, mm-hmm. I think I moved there in 99, and then we stayed for a few years. But um, folks don't realize the kind of, uh, the different the different exteriors and interiors aren't necessarily the same thing. So like the, the Salish Lodge is the Great Northern exterior, but then the, mm-hmm. the Kiwana Lodge on Bainbridge Kiana. Island, Kiana, is, is the yeah. uh, kind of the back of the Martell house, but then the interior of the, the great Northern in the pilot, I think it's the way it, it works out. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 So the exterior of the great Northern is the Salish above the Snoqualmie, um, waterfall. Yes. And then, yeah, the Kiana, which is on Bainbridge Island, the interior of that place is the interior of the great Northern and the exterior is the blue pine lodge. And the tree that the bird is sitting on in, in the credits, that tree is there. And the log that um, Laura's body was found at is still actually there on that beach. I just went a couple of years ago and it is there. And they have a little plaque that says, you know, in, 19, in 1989, a show called Twin Peaks was filmed here and the body of Laura Palmer was washed up by this log that you see in front of it. So, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of in and out. So like the exterior of, the Roadhouse, a.k.a. the Bang Bang Bar, is the Roadhouse in Fall City, which is a restaurant and inn. And then the interior of the Roadhouse in the original series is a bar that does not exist anymore in Seattle. Ah, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it, but it doesn't exist anymore. So the interior of the Roadhouse in the new series, I believe, I want to say, is a soundstage in L.A., but I'm not super sure about that. Well, because I feel like there's this million dollar idea where you need to have a concert series at the Roadhouse now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's like, who is their booker? Right. <laughs> what kind of dirt do they have on these bands that they have to come play at Twin Peaks? <laughs> and that's, I mean, so it's funny because this is kind of a, it, it was a nice gimmick. I really liked how it, it was just a way to create of an external flow to these episode parts because it doesn't feel like a normal TV show, but then by having the similar thing always happen near the end or at the end, it just kind of gave each things a breath and a structure. Yeah, it's sort of our grounding, right? Like, oh, okay, here we are. We're back here. This is real life. (laughs) But what's so strange is the road... (laughs) Right, but the roadhouse is also this... It doesn't feel like it's, it's a a real place at the same time too, because it's such a mystical place. If you think back to the, you know, where this is kind of where the, the big uh, moment happens when they determine who killed Laura, Mm -hmm. when everyone shows up at the roadhouse. But then it's also like when, uh, when Maddie dies, everyone goes there and they, you know, the, the psychic moment really drops on them and uh, Donna starts crying and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and like the the giant appears to Cooper there a couple of times yeah. in the original series. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a, it's definitely yeah, sort of a, a mythical place. It it reminds me a little of um like above the convenience store again where it's sort of like a waiting room or a passageway in between places. But it's it's obviously it's a good it's a good place. It feels safe, right? Like it's not it's not evil. Yeah. Yeah, now that you you mentioned that, I I wonder uh, a couple parts ago, maybe it was 16, where the, the gal was in the booth and then the people show up and kick her out and then she crawls across, across the floor and starts screaming. Mm-hmm. What's going on? That, that very much mirrored, um, I think, Cooper crawling across, or Dougie, I guess he still was, crawling across the living room floor right before he sticks the fork into his into the electrical socket and then Janie E. screams. It, it mirrored that a lot for me. Like her crawling and then the screaming. I feel like, like, what if that was happening at the exact same time as Dougie was being electrocuted, you know? Yeah. I feel like there, there are different things throughout the show where you're like, man, I wish I could see a calendar and a clock in those two places because I would really love to know if those are happening at the same time. Well, some of the members of the Twin Peaks community were really thinking that maybe we're seeing parts out of sequential order and that we were seeing things Mm -hmm. transpire you know after events had already happened and and i don't know that i bought into that theory but what what do you make of that i mean i think there are really clear examples that that is what is happening because for example um so the scene where bobby and shelly and becky are all in the double R right before that kid in the minivan shoots through the windows. Yeah. So we see, we see that scene happen. And then a couple of episodes later, we see Bobby come in or uh, we see Becky call Shelly. And we know that she's talking to her before she goes and shoots up Gersten's door in that apartment building. We know that that's happening before because uh, there's clear and there's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to <laughs> describe it right now, but like, you, it's clear that that was before the shoot up through the window happened, and the shoot up through the the apartment door happened. So we really were seeing things out of order, in in a lot of cases. But it's hard to tell. Like there there are really clear times where you're like that definitely happened before that happened, but then there are other times where you're like, did that happen out of order? I don't know. So that's where he's he messes with your brain. We're like, wait, <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> but I think it's I think it's a cool way to to tell a story because it makes it so that you're not giving away crucial plot points before they need to be revealed. As and when you mention that scene, that seems so enigmatic, where the woman is sitting in the car and the the little girl kind of like rises out of the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's yeah, a, <laughs> there's a lot of little moments like that 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 are I'm sure metaphorical importance but we don't you know now that we just talk a little bit I'm realizing well so there was the whole Balthazar Getty character that really didn't didn't go anywhere but he seemed really enigmatic. Mm-hmm. So I have a theory. <laughs> I have lots of theories. Um, so I have a theory about him that, uh, so obviously he's a magician, obviously, right? Because yeah. he flipped the coin up and it floated and then it made it appear in Richard's mouth. Um, again, yes, he did not, his character didn't go anywhere with a plot arc, but I think it's important that you saw that a magician was in real life and meddling in Twin Peaks. And then the the minivan with the woman and the creepy girls throwing up pea soup. Um, it's interesting because that woman mentions the girl's uncle. She says that her uncle is waiting for us. We have to go get to her uncle. And then uh, flashback to the roadhouse where Tina's daughter is talking about Billy coming into their house and how they saw him for the last time. And she says twice, I think my uncle was there. I can't remember. And then think back to fire walk with me during the Lil scene where she's showing, uh, Stanley and Chet, the, uh, the code. Mm-hmm. And 
he says, notice that Gordon said, um, my, what is it? My mother's sister's gal, what was left out? The The uncle. uncle. So there's all of these parallels where, no, they don't actually go anywhere, but I think it's just evidence of like, okay, so blue rose is happening in front of our eyes and the, and the clues are those consistencies. So you have the uncle, the uncle, the uncle, these are blue rose things. They're not explainable. And those are the the carry throughs, the clues that blue rose is happening in front of us as we're watching. And then, um, what was the other thing we were? Oh yeah. So red, the magician. So we know the, the famous fire walk with me chant the, you know, through darkness past the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds fire walk with me. So we see a magician in real life happening in, in the town of twin peaks while normal people are functioning. And he's sort of interfering because he distracts Shelly away from her family. So she's so focused on Becky and she's so focused on Bobby and what they're going to do about her shooting Gersten's door and parenting. And as soon as she sees him, she just obviously becomes mesmerized and gets dragged away from her family. So there's all of these distractions that are happening in the world that are, are like blue rose and magic and stuff are sort of interfering with the lives of, of real humans and families. What was that's, he- my, that's my theory. It's a great... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you are clearly the resident expert I can see. <laughs> um, Did I prove my medal? Yes. Uh, what is the Harry Dean Stanton character's name? Carl Rod. Carl Rod. In Firewalk With Me, he says, this is like Uncle's Night at a Whore House. <laughs> <laughs> see, so, he, says, he says Uncle. Yeah. Right, right. Good morning, America. <laughs> Good morning, America. Yeah, I love that movie so much, too. I mean, it really... Yeah, too. There's something... Well, there's sometimes like the first season is feels the same way. There's a it it creates such a sense of place that you just want to be in it. And so when I when I went to these locations, that was even I mean, it was even more interesting because like in in 2000, 2001, you know, it was just kind of like the show was over and it was gone. But for me, it was still this real place. And so when I would look in the sheriff's station and that picture of the tree is still on the wall back there. It was like, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is really a place. It's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my God, the mill. Oh my God, the sheriff's station. Right. Oh my God, around this bridge. Oh my God, Spark 121. Like, they're all real. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of all on the same little loop. You know, you kind of start it at Tweeds and you just go on the road. And, yeah. and, and there they all are. Hapsteiner. It is just like time. It is a big circle. There's literally a loop that you can take where you start at the roadhouse or wherever you want to start or tweeds. And it, you can do a big circle and see like most of the filming sites on that one circle path. It's pretty cool. But Ron, is Ronette's bridge still there? For some reason, I thought that it was torn down, but is it still there? It sure is. So um, when... The original series was filmed. Ronette's Bridge was a railroad track that led from the Warehouser building, which is, quote, the mill. The mill. Which, which physically is right across the parking lot from the sheriff's station, which they blocked it off to make it look like it was somewhere else with um, trucks. They would, they would block the mill with trucks so that if you're looking through the front door of the sheriff's station, you don't see the mill across the parking lot. So it's a, it's, you know, um, illusion. Um, but so in real life, the train tracks went all the way to the warehouser building and they would put the wood on the trains and then it would go on Ronette's bridge and they would, they would train the, uh, the wood out. So in, let's see, I think it was the mid to late nineties. Um, the warehouser building shut down and became defunct. And so what they ended up doing was chopping the train track off from above the road. So in the original series, Ronette's bridge goes above the road. That is Sparkwood 21 in the film. Um, you can see that in the, in the pilot, but 
in real life, they cut it off. So it just ends right before the road starts. So it still goes over the river, the snow, Snoqualmie river, I think. Um, and it's a walking path now. And a couple of years ago, it set on, it caught on fire. And so all of the wood components of it burned and they rebuilt it, uh, with like metal and concrete now, but it's a walking path and you can still go on it. That's okay. That makes sense. And Tweed's burned yeah. down too, or it didn't burn down, but it caught on fire. It also. did. Yeah. Yeah. Tweed's burned down in the early 2000s. I want to, I think it was like 2002. And so, yeah, it's rebuilt. But then um, for the show in 2015, they completely remodeled it. Now it looks like it used to in the, in the series, which is really cool. So now it says double R to go again. It didn't, it didn't say that for years until fall of 2015 when they remodeled it. Well, so what about when, when everything was filming? So you're, you're a super fan, you go to the festival every year, you know, what did you, did you go and gawk a little bit or did it all just kind of, you tried? (laughs) Yeah. It's so, I, just the way that my work schedule worked out, I couldn't go on the day that they were doing really public filming or on the week that they were doing really public filming. So I know a lot of people that did get to go and stand across the street from the double R and take pictures and stuff. And they were like, don't post pictures until after the episode is aired, the scene that you've taken a picture of. Um, so yeah, I, but I had vacation the following week. So I'm like, please, please still be up there. And I drove around and I couldn't find them. And <laughs> it turned out I made a friend later who used to work at the sheriff station, which is now a dirt fish rally school. It's a racing car racing school. Um, she worked there and I met her after that. And she was like, Oh yeah, we were filming that day that you were driving around. They were filming at the sheriff station and I didn't know, <laughs> but she, um, she told me about the whole thing and showed me pictures of it. And I was like, damn it. I was driving around that day looking for it. But I did see a Rancho Rosa sign, but I didn't know what Rancho Rosa meant at that point which is the production company they made up for this new series. Um, I did see a Rancho Rosa sign and I wondered if, if that had something to do with it. And now that's confirmed. So, but yeah, I did. I tried. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what now, now you got me thinking about that little boy and the mother saying one, one, nine, you know, yeah. what, what's, what's going on there? I don't know. I think that's maybe blue rose too, because of the backwards talk. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think there I think there's just um entities around that always hover around places that our main characters need to be. You know what I mean? So like Donna goes to um Harold Smith's house and the Tremonts live next door. Right. So there's that connection there because Laura's diary is there. That's probably why the spirits are lingering around that area. So the Tremonts and the Chalfonts are in the Fat Trap trailer park when Teresa Banks gets killed. But as soon as she's gone, then they leave. So because it's done, like there's no there's no more supernatural element that needs to take place there. And now the Tremonts and the Chalfonts are in the 708 house, um, Laura Palmer's house, like because obviously the work there maybe is not finished or maybe that house is a portal. (laughs) I don't know. But it seems like they're around any sort of supernatural element area and they leave when their work is finished so i feel like if we if we know something weird and creepy is around that area then one of those entities will be there so the house across the way was the house that cooper um came through the electrical socket and and the tulpa dougie disappeared from so of course there's going to be a weird supernatural element hanging out in the house across the way from it why not (laughs) why not okay um your recall is amazing to me. I'm wondering how many times you watched each of these episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I told you that I want to win the trivia contest. So (laughs) I've been watching it a lot in hopes of someday uh, winning the trivia contest. I don't actually know how many times I've seen it. It's obviously a lot though, because I don't have excellent recall on first or second watches. Well, it toward, takes a while. Yeah, I've seen it a lot. <laughs> well, I I've seen the seasons one and two countless times. But, yeah. But when I began in May, I was definitely watching each part, usually somewhere between two and three times. 
because it felt like we were given so much information that I needed to really swim in it to try and figure mm-hmm. out how things made sense. But then about halfway through, it seemed like I was just watching the parts once. And, and so now I definitely know that I'm going to spend more time in the second half of the season than I will necessarily in the first half to begin yeah. with to try and figure out what's going on because it seems like that's where I'm probably missing most of the details. But did you have kind of like a routine that you were in as it was going? Yeah. So I would, um, I would watch the episode as it was happening and then, uh, a good way for me to watch it again is that my, my boyfriend wasn't watching it with me. I was watching it at my sister's house. So then he would watch it with me the next day. So that would make it so that I did watch it twice Yeah. <laughs> every week. So that was, that was the kind of routine that I was in. So I've seen every episode except for 18 twice. Cause I watched 17 twice last night. Um, so yeah, I've seen every episode of the new series at least twice. And then my favorite ones I've seen, probably three times like the uh, episode 16, the one where Ed and Norma got together. I've seen that one like three times. Cause I was like, yeah, so much cheering in that one. Yeah. <laughs> or that, that was 15. I think something like that. Anyway, I think yeah, 16 really felt like it had a lot of momentum too. Cause we, there's a pacing that we were used to. It's almost like yeah. in a fun way, David Rinch was really trolling everyone. He slowed us <laughs> so, I mean, we we're just slowed down so much. Yeah. Yeah. But like most of the series was just a snail's pace, which is fine with me. And then, yeah, like 15, 16, we're just like, bam, 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 bam. Like Nadine breaks up with Ed and immediately he goes and proposes to Norma. And now, you know, the log lady ending and uh, Cooper waking up and immediately being like, I need to get on a plane to Spokane, we got to go now. And Mr. C showing up and then immediately Cooper shows up and you're like, Oh God, how long is Mr. C going to be there and torture people at the twin Peaks sheriff station? But it all happened so fast. And then, and then the last episode, it slowed right back down again. Yeah. Cause they're funny. driving yeah. for hours and yeah. hours, and yeah. hours. <laughs> uh, in silence, not talking. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and then just the humorous thing is like, <sighs> To me, so Laura, uh, Cheryl Lee is not on screen all that much in this in this season. Mm-hmm. Not a ton. But someone like Candy has this gigantic role where she, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It is funny. I've seen that complaint from people that, you know, the original cast hasn't gotten their due time and new people are on the screen more. But it doesn't bother me. Like, we know that they're there, That just because they're not on the screen doesn't mean they're not still more important than the people we're seeing more of. Like, Candy is not an important role. It's not. But yes, we saw her a lot. And Laura is a super important role. And no, we didn't see her very much. But, you know, you still know the whole thing is about Laura. Like, Cooper, Cooper's whole M.O. for the last 25 years has been to find out what happened to Laura and, and then prevent what happened to Laura. That's his whole thing. So Laura is so important. Even if you're not seeing her, you still know that. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not upset about not seeing the old characters as much because you know that they're still integral. Well, that was 42 minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you for having me. That was fun. You bet. You've been listening to DJ Morgan on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and SyncBook.com. You can hear her regularly as part of the morning show and on her show on Saturdays in Seattle at 90.3 or online at kxp.org. For more information about the SyncBook, our guest to check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. Currently, all the SyncBook Radio archives are free. And we feature a great search engine to find what you need. Thanks so much, and see you at the curtain call.
Thank you. 